0: Um, One disclaimer, I am actually going downhill in sickness, so (laughs) I'm not thinking clearly, so I'm going to have to rely upon a lot of you guys. And that actually is kind of my disclaimer, is that I'm not the smartest one in this room anyway, so you guys can teach me. Um, And then the other thing is, is I'm already humbled, because I just got finished teaching the first grade class, and I'm no longer the tallest one in the room, so (laughs) that's my other disclaimer today. So... Um, we've been going through the book of Exodus here, and um, today what we're going to talk about, uh, the kind of the three lessons that Austin and I are talking through is just kind of the intro of what is Exodus. Exodus. Um, Austin went over the overview of the main parts of it for the first week, and the last week he was relaying it to uh, First Kings and the Priestly and the um, Golden Caps and Jeroboam. Um, today, in the last part of what the textual meaning Of Exodus, and before we get into um, the individual parts, is what we're leading up to in this class. But what we're going to talk about today a little bit is uh, oh, I'm sorry. Before I get too far into Exodus, I wanted to put a plug in for Carrie Holton. Eh, There you go, Carrie. Carrie Holton's got um, uh, Connect Three Ministries, and he's praying through the Book of Exodus right now, and. Honestly, if you guys have to get up and go to the bathroom, just watch his video and you'll sum up my class in seven minutes. (laughs) Today, uh, Angela's reading it or listening to it, and I was like, wait, I think Carrie just summed up my class. That's awesome. So, uh, um, anyway, uh, yeah, if you want to pray through Exodus, I wanted to put in a plug in for Carrie. He's doing a great job there. Um, So, what we're going to talk about today is the Israelites and kind of um, where where we're at. Um, You know, in life and creating bricks and widgets, as we call them today, and different things like that. And we just kind of get into these grinds and we get into these different modes. And this is the Israelites um, as they were working in Egypt and um, everything like that. And so, uh, you know, as they're grinding away um, at making bricks and uh, kind of being subject to Pharaoh and what's going on in their daily lives... And I kind of want you guys to picture yourselves in our daily lives a little bit and thinking about how did we get here? Like, you know, as we go in, and today's Sunday, but uh, tomorrow's going to be Monday, and then we got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, Saturday, and we've got to go through these different things in our life, and we're looking at what does this mean for me? What does this mean as I go through the daily grinds of doing the household chores and taking out the trash or um, taking care of all these things? And, um, you know... What I want us to think about a little bit is I'm going to go a little bit back to putting Exodus itself into a textual um, meaning. And in order to do so, um, we're going to look at kind of going back to how did we get here as uh, separated from God and going to the Garden of Eden. And when God created the world and there is the Garden of Eden, there was is two things in the middle of the garden. Does anyone remember what those two things were? Tree of knowledge, that's right. What was the other one? Tree of life, that's right. And so what I'm going to focus on a little bit is tree of knowledge here in a second. And I'm actually going to rename this the tree of that's not fair kind of thing. Because it seems like as we we get to know more and more things, we kind of have that attitude, well, that's not fair, kind of going on. But going into the story a little bit of the fall, the first thing in the Garden of Eden is kind of what To take note is God um, commanded man, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said this directly to the man. Then um, he created a woman um, to help man and things like that. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? He's challenging the foundation of, you know, did God really say that? And we don't actually know in the Genesis whether God told her directly or if he just told man and man told her, her. We don't know. But it's kind of interesting that when we look at the direct scripture in um, Genesis, that he, God directly written down told man, and then um, the serpent challenges the woman on, did God really say that? And then she says, yes, he did say that, or you will die. And then the serpent basically says, you will not, you will, uh, not certainly die. You will be like God, and you will know there's been good and evil. And the, the woman, desirable for gaining wisdom took some of it, ate it, and then gave it to the man, and he ate it as well. Um, So the first deception that man falls into, um, challenging, okay, was that really what was said? Did he really say that? And also she had a desire to gain wisdom, and there's a difference between wisdom and there's a difference between knowledge. Um, And that's kind of the foundation of um, the first deception that was occurring for her. And so then we have them uh, making clothes out of fig leaves and um, all that. And then God came and said, um, who told you you were naked? How have you eaten from the tree? And then Adam, uh, the woman you put here. And I was like, way to go, Adam. You blame two people. Blame everyone else around you. <laughs> Not only did he say the woman, but he's like, you put her here. <laughs> and so he's going right back to God and saying, "You, you this, you did this pretty much to God. Um, and so the defiance, and I see God just in Scripture moving on. Okay, let's talk to the woman. You're a man. <laughs> I don't know what to do with you. Um, but then the, she uh, goes, and the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so then there's the blame game again, like, oh, there's th- the serpent here. It's his fault. And so what I want to contrast here a little bit as we're going into Genesis, is I want to be going into Genesis and Exodus and kind of putting the textual meaning at the time of what was happening here. And so what's interesting to me is that in Exodus, when he comes and calls Moses, what does God do? He sets a tree on fire. <laughs> and, but that's not even good enough. He's like, that tree isn't even worth it. So he comes and speaks as a bush. And to me, I don't know much of the deep meaning of this, but I think that's an interesting contrast that God came and spoke through a burning bush and when we're all fighting over these trees from the Garden of Eden. Um, but God's taking what we think we know And he's flipping it upside down um, to what his will and his glory is. And so we're going to compare a little bit. um, In Exodus, what we see is, in the beginning, I was going to kind of go through these three, but in Exodus, we see God dwelling among his people in Eden. Then we see the fall of man, which we just read through. Um, And then we also see the covenants uh, Noah and Abraham. And we see God's promise of a promised land. And then in Exodus, we see God revealing his name to his people, who God is. We see the redemption of his people and God redeeming those, um, or his, people, his chosen people. And then we also see God dwelling among his people again when he fills the tabernacle in chapter 40. Um, in comparing this, Egypt itself is flipped upside down. Um, there's the Egypt of Genesis. And when we see this, um, basically there is a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt, and he basically uh, found refuge and, um, and and from this famine. Uh, a key note that I wanted to say as we look at the, or talk about this is that in the verses right before this, um, Abram is actually going through the land of Canaan, and, and God tells him, "To your offspring, I will give this land." And Abram's like, oh, that's cool. He builds an altar, and, and then he ends up going on his way to Egypt. Um, in in chapter 12, but it's interesting to me that even before he, Abram goes to Egypt, God just told him right as he's going down his path that here's the land of Canaan. I will give this to your offspring. And so we actually see the integration of Canaan before he even goes to, to Egypt. Again. Um emphasis goes more, puts more on that, um, the promised land in the covenant in chapter 15 later uh, for Abraham. Abraham. But uh, um, I find that interesting that, you know, sometimes we kind of wonder, is God saying something to us? And are we always comprehending that? And it's kind of interesting to me. It's like Abraham, he told Abrams it's like, this is the promised land. Okay, I'll build an altar. Okay, let's go on our way. Um, it's kind of interesting to me. God already telling him that before he goes to Egypt, but, um, so, uh, and also in Genesis with Abraham and Sarah, and a lot of us know the story, um, how he told his wife was a sister, and all that stuff, but, um, his exodus, Abraham's exodus out of Egypt was pretty easy, (laughs) it was just, how dare you, you didn't tell me it it was your wife, you know, how did you bring this, um, sin upon me, to Pharaoh said that, and he, gave Abraham all his stuff back, and he allowed him to leave Exodus. But we see a really short stint there, um, but still kind of a point of where there's famine, and then he um, found refuge in that. Um, and then the other part of Egypt in Genesis, the story of Joseph um, basically sold to slavery by his brothers, uh, ends up interpreting dreams, Not only, actually to um, two other guys first, but then that um, allowed the stage for him to interpret those to Pharaoh, um, in which he was able to interpret the upcoming famine that was coming, which allowed the Egyptians to store up everything and prepare for that um, famine to come, which there's a famine all throughout the land, even beyond Egypt, and people had to come find um, food in, um, in Egypt itself. And then basically the Israelites, uh, when Jacob and his brothers, um, coming back into Egypt, into the land of Goshen, um, they're all blessed in Egypt, or in in Egypt, but in the book of Genesis, and we see that this whole place of Egypt is almost like a place of refuge in times of famine, when there's things happening. Um, this is where people go to um, get food and get other things that they need. And so what we see in Exodus is the Egypt of Exodus is flipped a little bit here. And this is what I, I believe, in my opinion... Um, God is like, okay, I I bless you so well, that's a creation that I created, but it's not for you to rely upon the creation to sustain you. It's about you relying on God to sustain you. And so in Egypt, what we see, the exodus of Egypt, is all the people in Israel, great multitudes of people explode. Um, um, I think it's 430 years, if I'm remembering right, but I'm not feeling right, so... Vanna, you can correct me, <laughs> um, but 430 years pass by. And the pharaohs don't remember the pharaohs of old, and they just have these massive numbers of Israelites to contend with. And so, you know, out of fear, you know, they basically end up subjecting them to hard labor and to slavery. And the Egyptian or the Israelites um, are pretty much. Um, Put in their place, I guess, in Egyptian society is what is being looked at here. And so, in addition to that, they're fearful that they could get bigger. And so, what do they do? Is they take the firstborn and take the babies and throw them into the Nile. Um, You know, because this little thing is just a mass production management of um, people that the Egyptians are even doing to the Israelites. And so uh, so the e- Egypt of Exodus is completely more different than what was taken as a refuge in Genesis, but we see this in Exodus as um, uh, op- uh, oppression for God's people and that um, basically they... Uh, um, um, no longer comfortable in the surroundings or in the creation that God had put them down, to, uh, or brought the, when they brought, came to Egypt initially. And so, um, and what we see in Exodus is God sending a message. Um, and I'm going to kind of briefly go through these real quick. But uh, we see the ten plagues: um, the river of blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the hail. Locust, darkness, and firstborn, and how that translates to the God sending a message to the people of Egypt. And I'm going to go through these really quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. But each one of these, from what I understand, and I'm not a historian by any means, but they kind of relate to a god that the Egyptians had um, that would have meant something to them. And these plagues didn't happen in 10 minutes either, obviously. This was over years that occurred. Um, but the river of blood for the Egyptians, the god of the Nile gods of the Nile and the life-giving that the Nile, that the society depend upon, and um, those are the gods, goddess, and the guardian of um, the Nile for the Egyptians, and then the significance of that, and then the um, frogs was the goddess of birth, Helquette, and she was, uh, uh, that was the head of the goddess of birth, was a frog, um, and then the gnats, um, folks were kind of saying that God of the desert um, was the, the um, what that was challenging, and then the flies. There was an actual god of the fly, the fly god um, for the Egyptians. Um, gods depicted as cattle, uh, the livestock um, plague, and then kind of challenging the gods that were depicted as cattle. Um, and then the boils, um, which was challenging several of the gods over health and disease. As the boils came down, he threw the ash, and boils came on all the people. And then we see... Um, the hail and locust kind of go hand in hand, but the sky, the, go- the sky goddess, the crop fertility god, and the storm god, uh, was being challenged with the hail, and then everything of the crops that was left over was devoured by the um, locust, and there was nothing that way. And then we get into the last two, which the darkness directly was challenging Pharaoh himself, because it was challenging the sun god Ray, who the Pharaoh would symbolize as himself. And then we have the firstborn. And then the um, if there were like the Egyptian gods, the gods protector of the children, ISIS, um, there. and So that's kind of a comparison of that. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but that's just a little bit of a, yeah, interesting on how they were attacking the society of the gods of Egypt directly. But the ones I want to do want to spend a little bit of an interesting thing that made me more to us is um, as we had just talked about um, just before Pharaoh was taking the firstborn of the Israelites and throwing them into the river, and so how much more of a powerful image does God start out by in the plagues by turning that river to blood? The, the, the river turns to blood, all the fish die, and everything like that. they have to dig wells among the like, side of the river um, to uh, get clean water. Um, But it's interesting that God takes a situation and he's already directly showing and pointing to him um, what is happening here. And then also the plagues conclude with directly relating to the firstborn being taken from Pharaoh himself. And so it seems like these things that occur in our past, there may be events that happen and things like that, and you're like, how can God use this for good? And God finds a way. God takes what happens and um, he basically will show how um, his glory can be exalted um, by the sins of the past. And so there's a direct relation Got God sending a message. And as we know, after the firstborn, Pharaoh's enough is enough and he sends the Israelites along their way. Ironically, same as when we talked about Abraham, when you sent him away with all his stuff, the Israelites were kind of sent with all this gold and silver from Egypt out of, um, out of Egypt on their way um, to, be, uh, to, send, to be sent out towards the, into the desert. And so uh, just kind of a powerful image of um, God uh, redeeming his people um, in the ten plagues. But that's what God's doing, uh, is sending a message here. And to put this more into contextual meaning of the book of Exodus here, um, comparing Genesis and Exodus a little bit is what we have is uh, Genesis starts out with the creation, Exodus starts out with oppression, and then we see um, the fall of Adam and Noah saved, and then when, uh, we see Moses' departure um, his return um, and bringing and redeeming his people I should have wrote more on that that's kind of uh, unfortunate um, didn't use enough words I guess but, um, but that idea of Genesis and the fall of man and then in Exodus we're seeing ec- um, taken out of that oppression um, contrast and then in terms of the um, flood God sees that mankind is wicked and sends the f- flood and floods the whole earth what we see in Exodus is uh, the Red Sea, and as long as Moses has his staff up, he departs the uh, waters and we see this crossing from one area to another and that's a significant meaning because in older times, we didn't have the geographical barriers necessarily that with these imaginary lines where we could say that's the border <laughs> a lot of these things when we look at water. In the Old Testament is we 're looking at a physical barrier where there 's a cultural difference between two um, communities because um, they didn 't have very good civil engineers I guess sorry that 's me being sick right now saying that but um, but anyway, that is an issue or that 's what we see is um, in the Red Sea and then I also put wilderness here because not only do the Israelites in their transition from one place to another involve Water um, directly of the word sea parting, and then that kind of closed the chapter. They're not going back, but we see this growing phase through the entire wilderness of here's something to go forth um, that they're looking through as they develop this identity of who the Israelites are because that's really what's happening in the book of Exodus is God's redefining their identity in God. Um, we see a covenant again, the covenant after the flood with Noah and the rainbow, and then also this covenant with Abraham in chapter fifteen, and multiplying and um, basically talking about the promised land um, and then here 's here 's a contrast that I kind of want these two words might seem. There we go. Um, interesting is that in, X, in Genesis, we always see the blessing. There's a blessing from father to son and the patriarchs, and who's going to get the blessing um, kind of passing down. And it's very individualistic, honestly. It's very individual from a father to a son, and it's usually the younger son, but it's different things on who's going to be honorable enough to get this blessing from individual to individual. What we see in the book of Exodus occurring is that this is actually now changing to nations, and we see the tabernacle and God's covenant with his people as a whole. We're not seeing, there's individualist nature a little bit still on um, the different laws we have for ourselves, but what we're seeing in the book of Exodus is that we're seeing God saying, no, this picture is bigger. I created everything, and what he's seeing is that I am setting forth the Israelite people to show his will, and this is kind of Um, when I was talking earlier about him revealing his name, this is what's happening um, in the book of Exodus is that God is revealing himself to his people as a whole. Um, And then um, the knowledge of the promised land and then in the book of Exodus is the preparation for the promised land. Um, Still on our way there. Um, I'm going to show a clip real quick, and I apologize for the one bad word that's in it, but um, I want I wanted to show this clip because there's a little bit, and what it is is the how many any hockey players in here? Yeah, we got two. <laughs> All right, anybody remember the 1980s Olympic hockey team uh, for USA and uh, what had happened there when they took a team? Uh, Herb Brooks took a team of. These boys, and uh, basically, in nine months, went to the Olympics. Um, and uh, one of the things that's leading up to what you're about to see here is that as he gets these boys, um, always he's coaching these boys and he's trying to get them playing as a team, he's trying to get them going. And what he's always saying leading up to this thing, he's like, All right, what's your name? Like, you stop practice, right? They're like, Blows Whistle, they're on the ice, they got, they're on their geared up. He's like, what's your name? And they'd say their name. He's like, all right, who do you who do you play for? And he'd be like, Minnesota. And then like, okay. And he'd keep going. He's like, all right, what's your name? And then who do you play for? And it'd be like Boston College or something like that. And he's always drilling this thing to them. And so uh I um you know, they're always in practice. So he's always asking, Who do you play for? Who do you play for? And um, this this event here is an expedition game, and this is a true story, by the way. This is actually you can actually see video, and inter- they actually interviewed the real players on what <laughs> had happened in this event. But uh, um, that's kind of what uh, this this expedition game is. Expedition game is the first game that they had actually played after he started getting these guys together. But see if you can hit that real quick. <laughs> Hold up, hold up, hold up. Gotta get back on the ice. Let's go. For four. Find out soon enough. Let's go back on the ice. Come on boys. What for We'll find out in a minute, won't we? Let's go, come on. Come on, guys. Let's see what you want. You guys don't want to work during the game? No problem. We'll work now. Go line. win on talent alone. Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Again. You better think about something else. Each and every one of you, when you pull on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates, and a name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the one on the back. Get that through your head. Again. Everybody get on that line. Hey. Again. Again. Herb. Come on, Craig, go to again. Michael Rusioni went through Massachusetts. Who do you play for? Play for the United States of America. That's all, gentlemen. Um. Uh, yeah. Lots of hockey players know this whole story. And I think a lot of you might know this, this team went on to what was happening in the 1970s as Russian hockey was, like, unstoppable. Like, they were beating our NHL All-Stars and everything like that. And this team, boys, within seven months ended up defeating the Russians um, in, a, um, in, a, in the Olympics and then ended up going on to win gold. But what was interesting here a little bit is what... I wanted to show this a little bit because it's a story of preparation. And what this is, is these boys... Uh, this scene is actually pretty funny. to talk to them about the, how they filmed this because they didn't know how to recreate this thing. And so the actors you saw skating, they actually skated it out. And this, they skated for so long that the janitors left the stadium and everything like that. That's why it got dark there. He went off there, and he, the janitors turned the lights off, tried to get them out of the stadium. And... Uh, um, then Herb was like, give me the key, I'll lock up. <laughs> um, but when they actually filmed it, these boys actually skated for um, several hours just to film that scene, um, just to recreate the, what the guys had done back in the 1980s. But, um, but I wanted to share... Uh, I mean, there's lo- lots of sports analogies and different stories that are similar to that, but the idea of preparation on how much pain and how long it goes, there's so much... That was happening also what these guys were is, like, Herb had an idea of what was going on, but even his assistant coaches are like, this is madness. Like, are you sure these boys should be skating this long? I mean, skating blue line, red line, blue line, red line, blue line. It's like, it's insanely a lot of skating. Um, And just the physical endurance, you're kind of worried about the players. But, you know, Herb had this idea that he was going to get these guys to stop thinking about themselves, because the one line I like that he said, that we saw there was like, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. And sometimes we kind of do that ourselves, as we like, if we know enough or we know what we're doing, we have this idea that, okay, I can get there, I can get that. Um, and that's not what um, God is doing here in Exodus, is God is saying that he's going to take your world, and he's going to flip it upside down, and he's going to reveal who he is and how we are going to be dependent upon him as we see in the wilderness and the people starving and grumbling and getting manna and quail and then water from rock. But that's bringing into the contextual meaning of um, what we're talking about today and to put this kind of in boundaries because we're really good at boundaries and putting everything into context as the... I want to bring up these ideas of uh, the boundaries of Exodus. And so what we see in Egypt on one side, as we start out, is one of oppression um, and delivered out of bondage on the beginning of Exodus. And what do we see on the um, end of it? God filling the tabernacle and the idea of entering and preparing for the promised land and entering to Canaan. And so as we relate, I'm going to see what I got up a second. Um, uh, basically, this idea for us and relating that to our Christian walk as we make that commitment to Jesus Christ and um, following what God has in place for us is the idea we have oppression, we've been um, in s- sin, we make the commitment and we redeem ourselves, uh, we've been redeemed through Jesus Christ, and we're looking forward into the promised land in Canaan. And so, putting this in the contextual meaning that's going to kind of carry on through the class is, um, we went through the templates earlier in this class, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments for a second, and um, I'm going to just kind of characterize these into uh, a few parts, but the first part is that God says, have no other gods before me, and make no idols. And it's interesting that... Um, the redemption and the first plague is redeeming the blood in the river of the firstborn sons being thrown in and the redemption that's occurring. But as we are redeemed and we're coming out and we're looking forward, God directly knows what's the first most important thing that, these, that we're going to have to face in our Christian walk is to have no other gods before us. And uh, the next ones, I'm not going to read through them all, um, but the personal choices that we have. Um, do not steal, listen honor your father and mother, um, do not commit adultery, all those things. Uh, personal choices um, to honor God first. And then I, I put this one here, um, and a lot of these other ones could say the same. Uh, do not covet your neighbor's house and anyone's possessions, but stay on the path, because out of the ones that happen here... The ones are personal choices. Those are different character traits that we need to do. But the covet one at the end I find is interesting Of uh, to me. is a, the idea of a Karen. Um, does, anyone, does anyone know what a Karen is? A Karen, it's, it's, this is the C-A-I-R-N-S one. But a cairn in uh, Colorado is, if you climb a 14 or anything like that, the road is, if you, once you get above tree line, the trail's not always clear, especially when you get on rocks. You can't wear rocks very well. And so you can't really tell where the trail is. So what do we do in Colorado is we set up these pile of rocks, like a little pyramid, and we set them there, and that's called a cairn. We just set rocks on top of each other to mark the trail so we know things. And I... I find that inter- this idea interesting. Do not covet your neighbor's house, because as you're living life and you guys are in these communities, it's almost like he's telling you, okay, you know, we want you to stay on the path. And he's setting up this Karen. Do not covet your neighbor as we go forward in this path. Is almost the idea to me is like, here's a Karen. Your neighbors are Karen's in your life. Do not covet what they have. Stay focused on what God is wanting. And so God is in my opinion, someone, I'd be curious other opinions on this, but um, the idea of staying on the path is do not cover the boundaries of other things around you, but um, do not covet that. And God's saying stay directly on the path forward towards him in my idea. And so this whole idea does not only rely into the idea of uh, Exodus itself, but also uh, I put this uh, picture up there of modern idolatry. Because as we become Christians and um, we're baptized and re- renewed, it's like we're entering the wilderness again. Jesus was ba- uh, baptized by John. He goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan. And so what we see a lot of here as we talk about Exodus is as, as mankind, uh, the Israelites are sent out into the desert, we see that... Um, they are now looking forward. They're always wanting to go back because as things get tough, they're like, well, we knew those, that's what we knew. We're always wanting to go back to um, uh, what Egypt had for us because we feel safer. There was some security there. But what God's saying is he offers another security. And so, But he also knows, as he said, honor me first. God understands that as people go into um, Relying upon Him and looking forward that there's going to be obstacles and deterrence along the way, um, and so relating this to the Christian life is Austin brought up last week um, why we remember and um, uh, um, and how we use that wisdom, that knowledge to apply wisdom for us today, and he asked that question when we remember. What times do we remember um, what had happened to us in the past? And so what I'm going to open up a little bit here and talking about this is that building on what Austin was talking about last week with um, why we remember and when we remember is that now that's the oppression and looking back in the book of Exodus. And so today, a little bit of the question is, why are we loyal and looking forward and so I want to open that question up a little bit. I see some sleepy eyes, and I don't blame you. <laughs> um, but I'm going to throw that question out to you guys And um, looking for why why are we loyal? And you can also define loyalty if you want to. If anyone has an opinion on that. What you got, Jeff? It's why I'm loyal to breathing. Loyal to breathing? Life, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's essential. Uh, God is God isn't. Yeah. And so it's why I'm loyal to eating food. It's why I'm loyal to breathing. hmm uh, It's life. It's life. Yeah, that's good. It's it's essential to who you are. What you got? Because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, oh, what you got? Sorry. There's a lot of peace. Once that decision is made, mm. then you don't peace. have to think about it anymore. And you're not always yeah. questioning, you know, relationships with friends or with your spouse. When you, when you mm-hmm. know that you're loyal, mm-hmm. the security and peace of mind that comes from those decisions. And even more so when yeah. you're to God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, man, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, but having that reliance, trust, and um, uh, peace and knowing that that's reliable, very um, much so. Oh. Um, so also to go off of uh, Austin's, when are we loyal? And we are, when are we not loyal? That's not a question just an answered in this room, by the way, but this might be the homework for this week. <laughs> um but when are we loyal, and when are we not loyal? And that's kind of a tough one going forward. I, if anyone has any ideas on that. I mean, Jesus said it's easier for a, um, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man uh, to find salvation. And so it's the concept of what Jesus was saying in that parable is that when we are self-sufficient and we have everything we need and we've kind of put ourselves on this like secure, our security is relying upon what we've done it's sometimes hard for us to say I need God and God is my security and we kind of have that battle as we gain possessions and we gain security in ourselves and then we have times where our security in ourselves go away and then our we turn towards God a little bit, and our security relies on God, and there's this idea of trying to balance that and then removing that, that we need to be loyal in those times where that security that we were given is because of God's creation and what he's created around us. Anyone have thoughts on that? Oh, what you got? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Between sometimes a dedication to a relationship, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. so an between that. mm hmm, system, mm hmm, and I think mm. it's more case specific to on um, some of those things that, uh, yeah, Bob Trump's what you know at a time, uh-huh. like yeah, Angelo's saints, sometimes it's about doing the right thing, mm hmm, do it's connected with a relationship, especially with God. So yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Um. It's, yeah. Definitely about the relationship and putting things into perspective on how those um, two could relate. I think sometimes we do a disservice of making algorithms out of things to say one, two, three. And going out when the relationship itself puts us in perspective of what the right thing to do is, and uh sometimes we can be too process driven <laughs> and uh saying that if we do this process, everything's taken care of, and it's like oh, I don't think our motive is with God when we rely on the process more than God so um uh, uh wisdom of, oh sorry, go ahead, Vanna. Hold on. Loyal to good things and bad things, yeah. So setting aside the bad stuff, in the beginning of Exodus, it mentions that that Pharaoh, uh, at this particular time, did not know Joseph. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And now this pharaoh doesn't have any loyalty to Joseph. And it seems to me the same thing is true with us in, um, I didn't hear everything Becky he said, in relationship to God. The more we know God, the more we probably would have a loyalty to mm-hmm. things of God. Yeah. Yeah. There was no Definitely. To God because they didn't know it. That's right. He revealing. So knowledge of God is what develops relationship. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's a big factor. It is. And the, that's an interesting thing. Is um, This idea of security is, uh, like we said, loyalty, good and bad, is that regardless of what we think, we're loyal to something. And uh, the human instinct to be secure, to have security... Is what what drives our security? What drives us to be safe? And generally, those things that of what we choose to um, provide our security is generally what we are loyal to, to hold that. And so, having that reliance on is God providing our security, or are we setting up our own selves to try to build security? Okay, Joe. I guess my immediate thought when you said uh, why are we loyal, I, I feel like we're not. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. He remains faithful. Mm-hmm. And I think about so many times in my life where I, I don't—I wouldn't call myself loyal, but he reached for me anyway, mm-hmm. you know? yeah. And so I think that's the beauty of God, As I looked at that, and yeah. I was like, I'm not. Right. <laughs> but he me from, from that too. That's right. That's right. That's good. Um, kind of tying this back a little bit into uh, Paul in New Testament writing, um, Kind of back to where we started with the tree of knowledge and good evil, um, that we all know that we have knowledge first corinthians eight one second half actually of it, but we all know that we have knowledge, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, and then um, where we 're kind of going with this just kind of um, as this is remembering our own testimonies of who we are. The book of Exodus itself is the reflections of Exodus revolve all throughout the Bible, this this book. And what I'm relaying this to your daily walk is um, as our Christian life is, where did we come from? The covenant of um, Jesus Christ in our burial and baptism, with, out with the old, new, in with the new. And then... Um, I put also here, what are we loyal to um, looking forward? And that's kind of the thing that sometimes I don't know if we talk enough about. I think we it's easy to talk about um, Acts 2.38, repent to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins you know, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see that going from oppression to committing to Christ. And then in Mark 16.16, 16, the Great Commission go forth and spread the good news. But... Sometimes that what, what sometimes the things that we struggle with and we have a hard time saying to ourselves is, hey, like, okay, I was born again Christian 20 years ago, but I still struggle with this, or I still struggle with that. And this idea, maybe we need to be more open in talking about with each other and relying upon each other is, okay, like, we're still in the desert sometimes. We're still in that post-phase with Jesus being tempted by Satan in the desert? And how do we um, look forward to, as God is sending us in a forward path of being loyal to him, how do, how, how do, we, uh, how do we rely upon each other in the, those times? And that ties back into the security question of everything we're talking about. But, <laughs> you know, um, so anyway, any thoughts on that? idea. We're going to wrap up class cuz we have so much time to go, but all right. Um, hey milk, can I ask you to pray real quick and then we can um, part.